Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Today I want to speak on the subject that um, when it seems like God is, is late. If you ever prayed for anything, you know that at times you might get your answer pretty quickly. But most of the time, it's a little bit delayed. And in that waiting period, a lot of times we get impatient. In that waiting period, a lot of times we feel like, God, have you forgotten about us? A lot of uh, times we ask questions like, God, where were you? Where were you when this happened? Where were you when, when I really needed you, but you were, you were just not there? And I think it's so easy for us to fall into to this mentality is because we don't see things f- from, you know, God's perspective. We see things sort of, you know, from our perspective, which is temporary. We don't know, you know, what's going to happen in the future. We don't, we don't understand that maybe some of the pain that we're going through is like it says in this verse that I just read, he achieves for us an eternal glory. But, you know, it's not something that it's new. You grew up, you know, with times where you are, were sick and your mom gave you some medicine that didn't really taste exactly good. You know what I'm talking about. Like I can, I can even do medicine that is bitter, but then it's sweet. But the medicine that I really hated is the medicine that was sweet at first and then just left this thing in your mouth that you're like, I, I feel like throwing up. Right? You know what I'm talking about? But you understood that by taking this medicine, it might be a certain discomfort at this moment right now, but it will achieve a better purpose. It will achieve that you will become better. And knowing how miserable you are when you're sick, you'll take anything. <laughs> um, recently, I've mentioned this, uh, but recently I had to have surgery on my wisdom teeth and uh, you know i'd never really worried about them because they'd never bothered me and i was just like well they're hidden away and they're hidden in the jaws so it's fine like i don't have to deal with it and then one day i woke up in the morning and i have this massive jaw and it just really really hurts and automatically i'm thinking like this is not good like this is not going away quick this is not something like oh maybe i ate something right or no i'm like this is this is really not good it just so happens that i was able to schedule an appointment with my dentist you know, I think it was like the next morning and I show up to the dentist and she sends me for an x-ray and she comes back. She's like, yeah, you need a surgeon. And I'm like, whoa, how did I go from? <laughs> and she's like, let me show you. And then, you know, she shows me the x-ray and then it's just all infected. The jaw is infected. And, uh, you know, they, they're just like, I'm going to put you on antibiotics, but you need to go into surgery like today. You know, and I'm like, well, this is not. And then it just so happens that the, the, the surgeon did not have anything available. This was a Thursday. And I'm like, I have to wait until Monday. And I'm thinking, she's like, well, you know, I'm going to give you all this medication. You will be taking it. We also had a youth conference, you know, that, that weekend. And I'm thinking like, man, I'm dying. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, and if something goes really bad, go to the emergency room, you know. And I'm like, I don't even have any health insurance, which you should get health insurance. <laughs> and uh, it just so happens that things were good and, and that weekend somehow I dealt with the pain. And then I, uh, I showed up for surgery uh, with a friend of mine and, and, and you know, the, the, the doctor just kind of like took me in the office and he really reassured and calmed me down that everything's going to be good. And 
I, I thought I was in good hands, and he was joking around. So I'm like, okay, if he's joking around, I'm pretty sure this is, this is good. And then we go into the uh, surgical room, and they literally just strap you down because they're supposed to put me in, under a sedation. And, and everything just gets serious out of a sudden. You know, the doctor wa- walks in, he's not joking around, he's just serious, you know, he's just kind of giving orders, and, and I'm thinking, like, I hope I wake up. <laughs> like, at this point, I'm thinking, like, what did I just, what have I done, <laughs> right? Like, I've never been under sedation, and, and um, you know, w- I remember waking up, and uh, I wasn't feeling anything, I felt like half of my face was gone, but the reason I'm telling you that is that going into that was kind of scary, because I'm thinking, like, how... Like, I'm putting my whole life in the hands of these nurses and this doctor. Like, I don't really know if I'm going to wake up. I hope I'm going to wake up. And the, the, the rate, success rate is pretty good, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to wake up. But nonetheless, you still have this, like, fear. How is this going to turn out? But you understand, like, there's nothing pleasant about having an infected jaw and then going to surgery and, and going through all this fear and knowing the next, you know, four or five days I won't be able to eat and I'm going to be bleeding and, and, and the next few weeks is going to be just a, a whole trip, right? Like, and you're thinking about this, why would I ever entrust myself to go through this process? Well, you do it because you understand that this process will accomplish a greater good, namely that you'll be healthy again. At least that's the hope. But you see, at that moment, it seems so hard to see that. And in John chapter 11, we come to this place where it's kind of, we see a kind of a, a bad situation getting worse. There's someone that is sick and then they, they end up dying. Of course, if you had someone in your family that has died, you understand the, the grief that comes over you. Just on Friday, uh, uh, I think it was Thursday morning. I think it was Friday morning. I think it was thir- uh, Friday morning. I woke up to a message that a friend of mine passed away. And, and I, I think his sister actually goes to this church. So if you are uh, related to the Lutz family, you know, uh, we'll be praying for you. I, I, I spent last night with them with a whole bunch of people and I remember even last night, how do you go and comfort the family? What do you say? It is incredibly difficult to find words in that moment. You know, and if you've lost someone, you understand that grief is sort of like a cloud and it just just hangs there. Now, um, there's an American, I think, psychiatrist, and uh, she came up with, well, she kind of did a lot of studies on on grief, and um, I think in her book called Death and Dying, um, she has this study that she, and she kind of talks about the five stages of grief. You know, she kind of puts in this perspective that the first thing that happens when you're dealt with a situation that is, is, is so difficult, you are kind of in denial. You, you just can't believe it. I can't believe they are gone. I can't believe I, I can't believe I, I just got diagnosed with this. I can't believe that this is my new reality. And after that, after you are in this in, in denial and you, you tend to kind of isolate yourself and just in your thinking, uh, the next stage is you just get angry. And you just start to kind of ask questions and, and you're like, why would this happen? 
this friend of mine that died, um, you know, he came to our camp. And I know a lot of people say nice things about people after they die. But this kid really, like, he just lit up all the room when he, he walked in. Like, he was at our camp. And I spent a lot of time, you know, just talking to him. He had a way of bringing joy to people that I think very few people that I know are able to do that. And obviously the family feels the same way because she just lit up a room and then now I think he's 21 and then he's gone. And I think after denial, after not realizing what's happening, after trying to come, coming to terms, you, you, you get angry. You're like, God, why would you allow this to happen? And, and, and she goes on to say that the next thing is you begin to bargain. Like, like if there's any shred of hope, you start to make deals with God. And I, I've seen this process before where people get diagnosed with something like, God, if, if you just heal me, I will become a missionary in Africa. But God, if you just heal me, God, if, and you start to bargain, you, you start to sort of try to make sense of your new reality. Next thing is depression. There's a moment of sorrow that comes over because you've lost something. Listen, if I... If I took away from you, didn't steal, took away $1,000 from you, and I didn't give that $1,000 back to you, you would be still short $1,000. When you are going through a loss, there's a mourning process because there, there's a loss there. So it's going to take some time for you to adjust to, to that new reality. And the last kind of stage that she talks about is acceptance. Now, of course, I'm here to preach the Bible and not, you know, to preach what, what this, you know, psychiatrist came up with. But I think this, this is a reality you do understand. We all have been in denial, been angry, have been bargaining with God, uh, have been depressed about a certain situation, and then finally learn how to sort of live with it, try to accept this new thing in your life. And this is where John 11, 1 starts. It says, Now a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent out word to him, meaning to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified by him. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was, which is a bizarre thing. It says, because Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he decided to wait another two days before coming. If you ever have someone that is sick, you usually will call an airline and book a flight to go see them. You leave your job to go see them. But that's not what Jesus does. And it's bizarre. Jesus, why? Why would you delay? You see, this is another thing of those that I just described at the beginning. Jesus is willing to delay 
so a greater good might come out of this. So, so the first thing I want to tell you is just because God delays doesn't mean he doesn't show up. Just because he delays, it doesn't mean he denies. Where his delays, his delays doesn't mean it's his denial. So you look at Jesus, and, 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 and then he reassures the disciples that this sickness will not result in death. But of course, we know the story. Of course, Jesus is not talking about natural death here, but let's read on. He, verse 7 says, Then after this, so some days lapsed, between they heard the report that Lazarus is sick and they should come, Jesus decides to wait two days. And after this, says, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Well, the last time they were in Judea, which is not a long time ago, they were trying to stone Jesus. And now Jesus wants to go to Judea. And the, uh, the, the disciples are kind of confused and thinking like, Jesus, why do you want to go there? Because they were about to stone you. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What Jesus is saying here is kind of doesn't make sense at a first glance, but it's very profound. What Jesus is saying is that, hey, this window of opportunity for God to display his glory is going to be closing in. And because I trust God fully, because I trust that he's the one who said the, the 12 hours in a day and the 12, 12 hours for a night and, and the 24-hour cycle, and I trust God. And if God prompts me to go, then I trust him. And there's not a lot of time for me to sort of delay. I know this is the time for me to go to Judea, right? And then he goes on to say, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He says, but those who don't see the bigger picture of God, they stumble. They, they make decisions based on, oh, I'm not going to Judea because they're going to try to stone me there. No. Jesus is saying, I trust God. I see with God's light on this. I know that this is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm supposed to do, right? Verse 11. Then he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. So, so again, disciples are kind of like, I don't want to call them simpletons, but like they sort of just take things for what they are. And they heard that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, well, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He means that he died a natural death. The disciple take that as he's actually sleeping. So the disciples like, well, he was sick. And if he is sleeping, then that means he's going to recover. So, so let him sleep. Why would you go and wake him up? It makes no sense, right? And Jesus, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of his literal sleep. 
So Jesus then said to them, plainly, Lazarus is dead. That's as plain as it gets. And I'm glad, now listen to this, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there. How, God, how does this make sense? Lazarus, that we, we dined at his house. Lazarus, that you love so much. Lazarus, that all they've done to us is just being so kind to us. How many memories and f- somehow him dying is for our benefit? God, how does this make sense? Please do, do elaborate, right? Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. So that you may believe. So that you might believe. What's the purpose of this? Is Jesus saying that the most important thing here is for you to believe that I am the Son of God. This was done so the God would display His glory through me. We would not be talking 2,000 years removed about this story unless it was for this miracle. Some scholars actually say that the raising of Lazarus is actually the miracle that caused the authorities to to arrest him and crucify him. Imagine a world without Jesus dying for your sins. You, you, You see how this is so much bigger than just a guy dying or not. But at this time, I mean, it's really easy right now for us to read it in retrospect and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Makes total sense. But when you're going through it, you're, you're very angry. I remember one of, of this, this uh, friend's friend uh, posted on, on, on Instagram when he found out that Vlad was, you know, died. You know, he posted on Instagram this, this like, kind of like a phrase, and he said, motorcycles are cancer. And obviously, people don't think the motorcycles are cancer. But I know what he means. And I know that in that moment, he's angry. You know, in that moment, he's just like, this doesn't make any sense. And you're looking for, remember how I told you about the five stages of grief? Right? In that moment, we don't get to see it. But Jesus says, look, I'm glad that I didn't go there. Because what God, was, what, what God is about to do, generation after generation, they'll still talk about this miracle. Right? Verse 15, And I'm glad for your sakes that I'm not there so that you might believe. But let us go to him. Therefore, this is interesting, Therefore, Thomas, who's called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also go, so that we might die with him. Like, Thomas always gets a bad rap because he is the unbelieving Thomas. But I think here he's very sincere. It's like, well, if Jesus says that we should be going, well, then, then we should be going. If Jesus says that we should be dying, then let's go die with him. And, you know, and, and then I looked up another verse, and I'm like, yep, that's like Thomas. Uh, John 14, 3. You know, Jesus talks about this. I got to read it to you because it's just so commit. Like to me, it's so interesting to see his character. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, if I go, I'll prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you also might be. And you know, and he's looking at his disciples and says, guys, and you know, you know where I'm going, right? He says, and you know the way 
where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how do we know the way? <laughs> Thomas sitting there like, Jesus like, guys, you know where I'm going. You know the way. And Thomas like, uh, Lord, actually, <laughs> no, I don't know where you're going. And I actually don't even know how to get there. <laughs> right? Like, it's so like him. And Jesus obviously says the famous line that says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right? So he has this personality where he's just like, let us go so we might die with him. Great. But at least he's sincere. You know, and I know that, like, again, he gets a bad rap because, oh, he's unbelieving Thomas. But I think in certain things, he was just like, oh, if Jesus says that we should go to Judea, we'll go to Judea. You know? I love that. I love that simple, childlike faith. And honestly, a lot of times, when we are in this painful situation where we, we've just lost someone, I think the natural response for a Christian should be like, you know what? Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but, but, but I trust you. So if, we're, you, if you're saying we should be doing this, then, then I'll just trust you because right now I don't see it. And I know maybe this is not exactly what you were hoping for, but I, I think at times we need to be like Thomas a little bit and say, God, I don't understand, but if you say we should go there, we're going there because I trust you. And as long as I'm with you, and if that leads to death, so be it. Tradition says that he actually went to India and then he carried the gospel there. So verse 17 says, so when Jesus came, he found out he already been, so Lazarus, he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews came, um, uh, had come to Martha and Mary to console them. Now you have to understand tradition here a little bit. And back in the day, here in America and in England and even in, in like Russia at times, when people deal with grief, uh, a lot of people just sort of, you know, they have, they're very composed, they're very like, you know, just kind of hold the handkerchief. And, and, and the tradition here is completely different. The tradition here is if somebody dies, people wail. They would hire professional wailers to, to come and just cry. So if, if the crowd, and some traditions say that it was for seven days straight, people would just cry and they would wail. And, and this kind of goes with what's happening here where four days after, people are still around Martha and Mary and they're crying about this death that just happened, right? So, so and that's what it says in verse 18, says that now Bethany was, was near Jerusalem, verse 19, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she has heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. If your brother just died, and Jesus, the most important person that you know, is coming to you, why won't you go meet Jesus? Martha went, Mary did not. Take a wild guess. Bitterness. She's a bit bitter. Lord, if you, and you, you'll see in, in the text, God, if you were just here, you know, if he didn't take that drive, if, if I would have just messaged them at the right time, if God would have just, if I would have just prayed. But Martha goes. 
Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him by Mary's state of the house. Martha then said to the, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. You see, Mary is the kind that sits at Jesus' feet when he che- teaches. And she's kind of the person that internalizes things. Now, I know for sure that, because I kind of see the resemblance of what they say, both of them say. But Martha, even though she also, a lot of times people say sermons like, be a Mary in Martha's world or something like that, right? Like where Martha is the one who does things, but doesn't sit. No, I think there's, she just, re- she just represents a different kind of person. People there are, hey, if there's a problem, I'm going to go do something about that. Right? And she's like, I'm going to go ask Jesus. If you would have just, Mary just sort of internalizes it. Martha is kind of a bit almost confrontational. Like, I want to know what's going on. So, so again, you might deal with grief differently. But you will find yourself in one of those kind of extremes where either you internalize things and you say, I don't know if God is fair. I don't know if God is, you know, but can I tell you that Jesus brings hope for Martha and Mary? Can I tell you that he understands the Marthas in this house and the Marys in this house? So, so there's no, no shame in that if you are sort of internalizing things or you just sort of, hey, I want to go, I want to talk to Jesus about this. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Even now, I know. And, and here's the hope. She's, you know, she's, she's about to do things. She's about to confront in, in the situation and talk to Jesus about this. But then she still holds on to, you know, she is kind of a believer. She's, she speaks Christianese is what I'm trying to say, right? She says, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. She says this, but then it makes me question if she really believes this. Because the next thing Jesus says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the day of resurrection on the last day. Right? So she, she says this to Jesus right away. She's like, you know, first she asks Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But even now I believe that whatever you ask of God, that he will give it to you. And Jesus kind of hints that Lazarus will come out of his sleep, out of his death. But Martha doesn't consider that as an option. Martha is just saying, well, I know he's going to ro- resurrect on, on, on the resurrection day. Now, of course, what's the difference between like a uh, resuscitation and a resurrection? A, res- a resuscitation is when you are brought back into your old body. Normally, when we talk about the resurrection in the New Testament or uh, anytime the Bible refers to uh, resurrection, it refers to when you get a new body. When Jesus came out of the grave, he resurrected, right? He got a new body. That's why he was able to be, go through a, a wall to be in, 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 in a room, even though he was a physical body, but it's a new kind of body, right? But Lazarus, he gets, you know, brought back into his old body, Right? And here's Jesus' reply to sort of Martha's Christianese, right? Martha's like, God, I, I know, yeah. I know that the Lazarus will resurrect on resurrection day. That's our hope. And Jesus looks at her and says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives 
and who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says two very profound things here. Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Martha, I, those who believe in me, even if they die right now, they will live. Martha, the, the author of eternal life is in front of you. I am the resurrection of life. Martha, I am the resurrection here embodied. Can you see that? Do you believe that, Martha? Not only that, but I am the life. I'm the one who gives life. I understand that maybe you've read that so many different times. And maybe you just sort of kind of gone through the motions like, yeah, Jesus, resurrection, the life. But what I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that when you just got diagnosed with something? Do you believe that he who made things out of dust and breathed into our nostrils and made us human beings and made us alive can bring a dead corpse to life? Do you believe that Jesus is sovereign over your disease? Do you believe that Jesus is sovereign over your sickness? It's hard, isn't it? But I think the reason this is so important is when you believe that Jesus is the resurrection, when you believe that Jesus is life, that gives you confidence. Imagine, I mean, how do you threaten someone? I think Ravi Zacharias says this. How do you threaten someone that just was dead and was brought back to life? Yeah, you're going to threaten me with killing me? I kill you? I know who the guy who's going to let me out. Remember when I told you that story of me going in under anesthesia and, 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 and being sedated? I didn't know if I'm coming up again, but I trusted my doctor. I trusted my, my life was in their hands. Right? Christianity is not about you doing the right things. And now, of course, if you trust you know, the, if you trust Jesus, if you trust Jesus, you will see a change in your life. You will see you doing good things. But he's the one who's in charge of our life. And that's where our confidence should be. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes in the world. And then verse 28 says this, when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And she says, at this time, when she had heard this, she got up and quickly was coming to him. I don't know what happened here. But maybe it was that when she, Martha, talked to Jesus, her whole perspective changed. And now she comes and tells Mary and Mary goes in to meet with Jesus. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were in her house, consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out with her, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Remember, this is the fourth day, and they're still weeping. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, and fell at his feet to him, saying, Lord, 
if you had been here, my brother would have not died. And Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit, when in spirit, and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Lord, come and see. And this is kind of like the famous shortest verse. It says that Jesus wept. The question has to be asked, why would Jesus weep when he knows he's about to resurrect Lazarus from the dead? Jesus, you're going to raise them up in about four minutes exactly. Why would you weep about this? I think what this verse shows us is that Jesus has compassion. That Jesus understands the human condition. That he understands, he, he truly, now it, it's like you go and, and seeing someone that has just lost their brother and maybe it doesn't affect you as much, but you have compassion to see and you share in that sorrow. You share in that weeping. You share that burden of that sorrow. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus understands the pain that comes with our human condition, with us fallen, with us being living in sin and then kind of reaping the consequences of that. Also, Jesus understands that in this world, there's sicknesses and disease and, and he's truly you know, kind of overcome by all of this and he has compassion and he is troubled. And he says that Jesus wept. That gives me hope that regardless of what you're going through this morning, when, and if you feel like God is delaying or God is not showing up, can I tell you this morning that Jesus is with you in that? And that He is seeing that? And He is weeping with you? And He comes alongside of you? That is the God that we serve. God is not far removed in some galaxy away and he doesn't care about your every single situation. No, he is imminent. He is present. He is here this morning. He is here in your difficulty. Jesus is the one who is, is not like every idol that you've been serving. Jesus cares. It says that Jesus wept. Verse 36. So when Jews were saying, uh, some of the Jews were saying, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from also dying? Some people are kind of seeing this whole situation unfold and, and they feel compassion and some people are just like, Well, he, he, he healed others. Why, why couldn't he heal others? Now here's the hope, right? Verse 38 so Jesus, again, being deeply moved, with, uh, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and the stone was laid against him. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha and the sisters of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he had been dead for four days. The King's James on this one says, he stinketh. So there's that. Um, there's a stench. A tradition said that if anybody would die in their days, they would be buried the same day because when you have no way to kind of preserve that body, you know, some rich people be embalmed and so on, but if you were a poor person, you were buried that same day. 
Now, Jesus resurrected two people before, at least two people before Lazarus. One of them was Jairus' uh, daughter, and one of them was this widow's son that was being carried. Both of them, he resurrected within the same day. The daughter was, was within, you know, a few hours maybe. But Lazarus is different. Lazarus has been dead for four days. You know what happens when you die? You get stiff after about 36 hours. Your body starts to go soft again and you start to decompose. Within 72 hours, most of, pretty much everything is, is decomposing at this point. So for Jesus to call, it's not sort of like the CPR resuscitation type of thing. He's been dead for four days. The cells in his body are decomposing. It's a body that's decomposing and it stinks. And everyone is concerned with this. Rightly so. So for Jesus to say, come out, it's not as easy as bringing someone back to life that just died a few minutes ago. No, it's someone who there has to be a complete regeneration of, the cell, uh, of every single cell. There has to be a regeneration of every single organ. It's a lot harder to say, Lazarus, come out. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believed, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The men who died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews came to Mary and saw what he had done and believed in him. I bet they did. Raising a person who's four days dead, that will get some attention. But he also attracted the wrong kind of attention or the right one. Depends how we look in light of eternity, right? But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. It's not that easy to say, Lazarus, come out. But God can. And if Jesus this morning is encouraging us through the story where he spoke a regeneration of a body that's decaying and called back a man to life that was dead for four days, he's the answer for your situation too. Now, of course, Jesus allowed this to happen because we would not be talking about this if this didn't happen. This stands the test of time and stands as an encouragement, uh, encouragement word for you and for me. Because these people that went and reported to Pharisees, Pharisees got to a point where like, we got to do something. We have to go and do away with this guy because he does miracles that are, are out of this world and everyone starts to believe him. See, God start to display His glory. And maybe what I want to suggest this morning to you, that in your sickness, in your disease, maybe God is working at a greater end, a greater purpose. That maybe right now you don't get to see, but one day in light of eternity, you will be able to see this. In retrospect, or in eternity, I'm not sure. And when God seems like He's delaying, He's not delaying. He is working things behind the scenes. 
my call here to a closing very soon, but I want to read this, this poem that is written by Will and Copper. And he puts it in a way that I can never, I put to, I can never put it together. But he says this, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he fashions up his bright design and works his sovereign will. E fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust in him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Maybe you're going through a bitter moment right now. Can I tell you that in all things, God works for your good? Even the moments where you don't understand. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.